Hi, welcome to Old Enough for Fairy Tales. I'm Kirsten. And I'm Anna, and this week I return to the world of Escarlin, Tarnheel, and Costaria. Oh yeah, I was just there the other day, hopped on a plane, <laughs> and was like, hey. <laughs> you need to read these books because they are my I've favorite. I've read the first. I've only read the first three. I'm sorry. But the next three and then this collection of short stories are even better. I need to. And I found out, so this is the Elven Alliance series by Tara Grace. And she has just announced that she is doing a sequel series with the kids. From so at the end of Heart Bond and Shield Band, because they kind of weave together, they the couples start having kids. <clears throat> and so this the sequel series is like <gasps> like a hundred years in the future, or no, 90 years in the future. That's like not so even weird that many. to think about. <laughs> <laughs> and the kids have all grown up and they're now adults, and it's about the main characters firstborn. Um, and I'm so excited. And then she's doing another series that's more... So the, that series is more action-adventure. The world is now more World War II. Airplanes and stuff have been invented in the human world. And he is joining this giant world war as oh, a wow. flying ace, basically. And then she's announced a series that's going to come out kind of the same time as that one, which is more of a romance series with some of the other cousins and sisters and stuff and i'm so excited i love that so i finally read heart bond because it's a collection of short stories and i was just not ready for the elven alliance series to be done but now that she's announced that there's going to be more i'm like i can read it it's fine and this one was so fun because it's all the characters from the first like the six actual novels in this one and there's um a novella with two of my favorite well it's my favorite couple and uh, mm-hmm. it takes place during the same time as the last book. So the last book focuses on a different brother. And you don't, and you find out that something happened to these two, but you don't get their point of view. So it's in this okay. one where you find out what was happening during the events of Shield Band. And it was so good. Nice. And uh, nice. yeah, Edmund and Jalissa are my favorite. I'm very much related to Jalissa, so it's very fun. And I very much like Edmund. Like, he's the prince I would fall for if I was <laughs> in this world, if I'm being honest. So it's just fun. And then a lot of, like, random, like, short stories yeah. that of events that are mentioned in the books or mm-hmm. after the books. And it's it was just fun. It was an easy – this one was an easy read. The one I'm reading now is not. But this one was fun. <laughs> So it's Heartbone by Tara Grace, and you got to read it after you've read the other six, or you're going to be thoroughly confused. Is there is there mention of shampoo? Because the first book talks so much about no Elvin shampoo. Yes, the first book talks. It is kind <laughs> of a joke. It was kind of a yeah. joke. She told me I'm friends with the author, and so she told me that. But uh, it tapers off by the end. Like it, there's, I think okay. it's mentioned in Troll Queen for reasons. Oh wait, I did read that one. So I read the first four. Okay, pretense is my favorite. Yeah, Three that's the is one my that favorite. I haven't gotten to yet. I haven't. Oh, and like, then Shield Band is really good too. Okay. Yeah, I still want to, but I have so many on my queue. So, hopefully. Yeah, they're just fun. Like, if you need a light, like, yeah, read. I mean, not 
Deathwind. That one is no. I always skip. I skip over that one now. If I'm re-listening to the audiobooks, I just skip it because I'm Deathwind like, and dark. sadness happens, and then we'll go to Troll Queen. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's good though because it's like the fan. It's like light fantasy, but it's not like you're just reading fluff. Like it's still no. serious stuff, mm-hmm. but it's not heavy. So it's a good, balance. which is why I love it. And so I recommend these books to everyone nice. who says they like fantasy and romance because they're my favorite well i'm going to transition into some spookiness so oh spooky yeah so before i get into a recent read i'm just going to briefly mention dr jekyll and mr hyde because on the last episode i said that i would talk about it but it's not going to be a recent read i'm just going to mention that i really liked it and you should read it if you like classics it's very like ghost story classics it's very short my edition, I loved the short stories that Robert Louis Stevenson wrote that were included in the edition. I'll link it in the show notes. But he wrote Jekyll and Hyde. Yeah, I didn't know that. Yeah, it's it wow. has a bit of his tone too. You can see it. It's so ethically interesting, and I love the introduction in, in the edition too because it really makes you think about the ethics of it. But I'm actually going to talk about a different spooky read for my first recent read, and that is the Graveyard Book by Neil Gaiman. So this book is got really popular when it came out. It still is quite popular, but it's not like, you know, Akatar popularity. So this is like a middle grade, but older middle grade spooky story. So at the very beginning of the book, oh, by the way, it's beautifully illustrated. So at the beginning of the book, we follow this person as he goes through a house killing the family members yes so older middle grade so it's about a young boy but the prologue is basically this is not a spoiler this is like first page um he's basically just killed these parents and and child and he's trying to find the last child and you kind of get the sense that this is really important that he does this and as he's going looking for the last child who's like a toddler uh you kind of switch to the toddler's point of view and the toddler kind of wanders out like he gets out of his crib and wanders down the stairs and just like the front door is like open so he just like walks out the front door and he basically escapes from the assassin so uh intentionally yeah and so basically the toddler wanders into a graveyard and that's really near his you know parents house and he wanders into this graveyard and the ghosts in the graveyard are see him and they're like oh (laughs) <laughs> and then the assassin comes and they're like um no and they basically protect the little boy and like make him invisible and protect him and then you got to switch to the graveyard and all of the ghost folk of the graveyard have like this meeting to discuss whether or not they can keep the kid so there's like these two there's like this couple that's like you know middle-aged couple and they're like we really want to raise this child this little why child. am i picturing the ancestors from Mulan? <laughs> not that far off it's like a very eclectic mix of of people in this graveyard because you have people from all over the ages so like anyone who's been buried in this graveyard and there's like different crypts it's a really cool graveyard and so eventually so these two people are like we're going to be the parents and then this other guy who you never really fully find out who he is he's like not living he's not dead he's like a guardian basically and he says that he will be the child's guardian so they're like oh what should we name him and so they decide to name him nobody 
to keep him hidden. And so he goes by Bod. Bod. <laughs> Which is funny, but you get used Not to Not Nob, but Bod. Bod, yeah. <laughs> um, and so basically we follow Bod as he grows up in the graveyard and he goes on all these little adventures. It kind of feels like a TV series where you have different sequences of adventures, but in the end they're all tied together. And in like, the end, the assassin basically is tasked with like he has to find him because he like failed because he didn't kill this toddler. So he has to find him. So he spent his entire life trying to track down this kid, but the graveyard protects him and he has learned to like quote unquote fade, which means he can like kind of become invisible. And there are other things he can kind of haunt people. So he like at one point he goes to human school and he like haunts the bullies to get them to stop picking up it's really he like gives them scary nightmares and he's like a good kid and it's very interesting it's honestly so wholesome which sounds weird because it is spooky but it's fun and it's kind of a lighter read you don't feel super heavy and it's a good one if you want like a spooky read but you don't want to be scared of your scared out of your skin so yeah that is the graveyard book by neil gaiman I went shopping at a bookstore today and I got this book and it's like Ooh, a thriller. That looks so cool. I'll link it in the show notes. That is a beautiful I, cover. It's called In the Woods by Tanya French. And yeah, I I got a lot of books today. It's fine. Ooh, they were a dollar a piece. <laughs> My next recent read is The Assassin Bride by Anastasia Blythe. Wait, The Assassin Bride or The Assassin? The Assassin no, the assassin <gasps> bride. That's Ooh, why I paused. Okay, like that more. <laughs> so this story, I the the author had released it on Kindle Kindle Villa, and um, then she re-released it at or it just re-released it. I read it early copy as a actual book, and the cover is stunning. And I don't have it. I want to buy it, but I'm like just moved, and I'm like I don't need more book boxes. Anyways, <laughs> it's a stunning cover, and um, basically the story is very. Middle Eastern flavor. Like she lives in this this city and she's a young, she's like 17 and she's an assassin. And the her master, basically he owns her, and he sends her on these missions, I guess you'd call them. For people, he he's like the client says you have to go kill this person. So and she's a mercenary. She, mm-hmm. And well, for him. So she doesn't want to do this. Okay. She always leaves a note that says, I'm sorry. So she, as the assassin, is called the mourner. Okay, and yeah, she wants to get out, but awesome. every time she she tries to run away, her her master, I can't remember his name, um, finds her and brings her back, and then she's like, like he's he's horrible to her. So one night she's in her little like cell cage and she feels like someone's watching her, and it's this the basically the sultan, but he's called the never seen king because no one has ever seen him, and there's a lot of like dissent in the in the town because like he's not doing anything for it's such an eclectic story i love it so much anyway for for the people and so he basically kidnaps her and brings her to the palace and she finds out she's in this competition with 10 other girls one who is her best friend to win the hand of the never seen king and be his wife and this story when i tell you it was wild the twists in the story that i was not expecting I figured out one of them, but there were so many other ones that I was like, wow. Like you, you, I had an inkling. I'm like, I think this might be what happens, but it still like shocked me when I was like, right. Because it just seems so 
this was such a blend of like northern like mythology stories and then like middle eastern stories with like gins and genies and all of that it was so good i stayed up past like i read this while we were moving so like we had to be up early and all of that to like pack boxes and pack the trailers and stuff and i would stay up way later than i probably should reading this on my kindle because i i wanted to find out what happened it was so good Ooh. And I'm so mad because I didn't realize it was a series. And so I'm waiting for book two to find out what, like, it kind of, it ends, the plot of that story is over, but there's, like, an epilogue, and I'm like, what the crap is going to happen in book two? It is so good. So it's The Assassin's Bride by Anastasia Blay. Nice. So next I'm going to talk about News of the World by Paulette Giles. This book was somewhat recently made into a movie, which I have not seen. I want to see. News of the World is set in the aftermath of the Civil War. So basically it's about this old man. Old, not too old, but older. And he is, he used to be in, uh, he fought in the Civil War, but he now he goes from town to town reading newspapers. So he'll go to a town, he'll have a bunch of different newspapers with him, he'll choose stories from them, and he'll do like a town reading for them to get like the news of the world. And they all pay like a dime for it. They just like toss a dime in a cup. So, and then he like travels on to the next one. So, and his name is Captain Kid. <laughs> um, I know. <laughs> so the story goes deep into what it was like for kids who were captured by um, Native American I don't know if that's a politically correct word, but by Native American tribes, they were captured. And basically these kids, this is true, these kids got so used to living in that family that if they got rescued back, they would not, they would want to go back to their tribe. Even if it was like a year, they would almost completely forget English. They would forget like the culture of their English family or wherever they were from, and they would be so indoctrinated into that tribe that they would want to live there because it's so familially focused, and they treated their captives, like their captives would be kind of adopted by a family and treated mm -hmm. like their own child. So, and this is a really interesting thing. I know there's books about, like, the psychology of this and stuff like that, which I would be very interested in reading, um, but, but basically, Captain Kidd is tasked with taking this little girl who's about 10-ish and she is from a German family originally. She was captured by a band of Kiowa raiders who killed her parents and they raised her as their own. So the U.S. Army then rescued her and she has to get back to her family. And of course she's like, I want to go back to my, like to her, her family is the Kiowa tribe and mm. so she's very confused she doesn't really speak any english she remembers a little bit of german because her family's german and captain kid basically has to take her 400 miles to her family and traveling in this like wagon and so it's about their journey and he continues to go from town to town reading the news and there's different things happening with the politics and and the civil war you know reconstruction things like that I remember seeing the commercial for this now. Now that you're, really? you're saying it, I was like, I remember. Yeah, Tom I haven't Tom even had. I haven't even seen. It was the trailer on, for this movie. <laughs> I'm pretty sure it was this one. I'm. Um, it was on when the kids watched hockey, like last year, I think. Is this okay. a relatively new it's movie? Relatively new. 
Okay, because I think it was yeah. like last last winter when Something they had like hockey that. on. It kept it kept playing. Okay, well, I want to see the movie. I haven't even seen the trailer, <laughs> but the book was really good, and it was really interesting because they end up becoming like really good friends, and I love like the father daughter. Like she calls mm-hmm. him captain, and I love their like like the friendship that they develop. It's so sweet, like found family, and they get like attack. There's this attack that people basically try to kidnap her for like a prostitution ring and yeah and she and so he's like no and he basically (laughs) like flees from them and then they have to like bite them and so they're surrounded by all these people and they're like hiding behind their wagon and (laughs) and they kind of run out of ammunition so she takes the dimes that people have given them for to read the news and like loads them into like their guns and it totally works <laughs> and they like are shooting these dimes at people and they kind of like explode and like it's great it's a it's a great book it kind of keeps you engaged um I listened to the audiobook and it was well done so yeah that's News of the World by Paulette Giles I recommend okay next up we're going to talk a little bit about medieval culture I guess and what a lot of fiction stories movie shows get wrong about the middle ages yes i'm excited to talk about this i feel like there's so like a lot of fantasy is set in a medieval you know kind of arthurian landscape and fantasy is allowed to take some liberties i know because it's a made-up world so that's not really what we're talking it's more like historical fiction set in a a medieval (laughs) there we go world i i loved in middle school high school reading the melanie dickerson they were like fairy tales retold in a medieval world and Mm -hmm. i loved those and she did a lot of research on like oh that's good the culture and all of that so i feel like i know a lot about it that's accurate because even reading like through some of the research that i did in the last 15 minutes before we started this podcast um, because I had no time this week to do anything. It was really interesting. I was like, oh yeah, that's Melanie Dickerson dealt with that. And and Lisa T. Bergen is another one going back to like uh, the 16th century Italy. It was very, very historically accurate, which I love. Yeah. And fantasy is allowed to take some liberties, but if you're trying to display like a typical medieval setting, like there's just so many inaccuracies that people just tend to. Yeah. So we're just going to talk a little bit about what it was actually like. Um, I'm going to start us off with uh, table manners. <laughs> a lot of times when you see in like a movie or, or you're reading in a book, you'll see like the medieval characters just grabbing their turkey legs with their hands and chowing in and stuffing potatoes into their mouth like no absolutely not they did though use the tablecloth as a napkin that's what a tablecloth was really originally invented for and i think that's so interesting and that wasn't bad table manners to them no no typical but this is just not true even among like it doesn't matter if it was peasants or and by the way it wasn't just like the royal, the knights, and the peasants. Like, there are so many different social classes in between. <laughs> there was um, the merchant class. They were 
mm-hmm. well off but not nobility yeah and i mean just like there is now there's so many different levels of poverty and all that so but at the table they often didn't have forks because europe didn't use forks until the 17th century but they had knives and spoons and they didn't eat with their hands like they had good They'd table manners stab it yeah and they also turkey legs not a thing for a long time people didn't really eat turkey legs so i don't know why that's a stereotype but yeah they had good table manners and um the the one thing that i thought was really interesting is there was a genre of books um in that time that basically taught children how to drink properly from a cup and like not chew on bones and like good manners and stuff like that so they had a whole genre dedicated to good table manners for any social class so that's my first little fun tidbit about the medieval world what do you have for us Anna so like I said I didn't have much time to research but I did look up um medieval libraries it was really interesting the the article I was reading was saying that a lot of ancient texts and like books and stuff were destroyed because there were so many wars between like fifth century and like the 15th century. So a lot of it was lost, Hmm. but the, the libraries that were preserved were mostly from monasteries because they would collect texts and histories and store it because that was also the schools. You would go to the monastery to be a scholar and learn and, and, schooling and religion were very mm-hmm. I mean they were not there was no separation like it was if you were a scholar you were a man of the church basically yeah. um and so I thought that was really interesting and then I know just from reading very historically searched books that only the very wealthy would have libraries because it was all handwritten mm-hmm. texts you'd have to be able to afford yeah. the the books and the scrolls or whatever you were reading from and so it was really like royalty had it and then the monasteries and schools had it. a lot of the lower class didn't know how to read because life expectancy was so short. Mm-hmm. They didn't bother to learn to read. It was before the Gutenberg press and all that. Mm-hmm. And if your life expectancy was so short, why waste time learning to read? Because there was other things that needed to be done. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. Um, it was really only the wealthy who had the time and resources to learn mm-hmm. to read who could read. In that kind of same vein, this was something I came across too. Um, A lot of medieval representations will show that women were housewives, housewives, and children worked. And while it's not like horribly inaccurate, uh, most of the time women were working too and often would even teach men things. And so they (laughs) were often out of the house working. And children, it's not like children were, like it's not like labor laws i mean labor laws weren't necessarily you know as strict I mean, as they are now and i think a big part of that culture too again from reading accurate books yeah was very familial so if your family needed yeah. help you were willing to go to work because you were helping your family yes, it wasn't but- like nowadays where it's like oh it's i i you know i don't know if that makes any sense like nowadays yeah, you kind of had the, to parents make enough to support the family most of the time so you don't have to work until 16 17 18 and, yeah and and children like it's not like they weren't normal children like they still had opportunities to oh have yeah fun and play and like it's not like they were slaves to their families or anything like that 
And again, life expectancy was so short. You needed to learn a trade young. Yes. To then grow up, get married, have a family and support them. I mean, that's why kids married so young back then too, at like 16, 17, 18, and started having families because life was short. (laughs) Yes, true. Um, okay, I'm going to talk a little bit about battles. <laughs> so, um, so is this a where lot I can of... bring up my sword pet peeve? We've already <laughs> talked about your sword pet peeve, Anna. We I know, know you don't but... like it. Okay, I'm going to talk about something else. So, a few interesting things about the accuracy of medieval battles, and I feel like this is okay. I love Lord of the Rings, but Lord of the Rings gets it very, very wrong. Um, A lot of things that cavalries know, you didn't just run towards the enemy that was very ineffective until like the (laughs) very end, maybe. Um, So a lot of times uh, movies and books will depict like this long row of archers and they all are ready to go. And then the commander yells, fire, which is stupid because they didn't yell that. It makes no sense. Fire had nothing to do with it unless you had like a flaming arrow. Um, But what they would actually yell was loose like loose and then Mm -hmm. like to loose your arrow and then when the archers were supposed to stop shooting they would yell fast which meant safe so i thought that was interesting and then another battle thing is that uh, a lot of representations will make armor look like very weak like oh i have armor on but the sword pierced right through my breastplate like no unless you had a really crappy metalsmith like that's not true and real armor is like a lot more durable so swords and arrows wouldn't just punch through it um well and i i just saw a a reel by a lady who makes chainmail armor like nowadays oh cool and it was talking about like would chainmail stop like a thrust of a sword and she's like Mm -hmm. well most she's like it does stop a slash yeah and but she's like most of the time they did not stab with the sword yeah. because you just have this little tiny point on the top of the sword it was much more effective to slash or you know and when they wanted to stab they carry these daggers with them and they would stab between the points of the mm-hmm. armor and that's what the dagger was for swords weren't really for stabbing yeah so she had a pumpkin and she put chainmail over it and she showed like a slash would stop it and then she showed stabbing it and like it went in like that far interesting and then so there was like there was the slash she did a stab and then she did something else and like one is this like this little tiny like cut like they, that deep like and an then inch again, or two in the pumpkin i think she stabbed it maybe without the chain mail then she stabbed it with the chain mail and then she mm. did something else too and it just it showed the difference like That's a chain so mail actually made a huge difference yeah and so I many, think... again so many shows show like yeah i mean it like right and everyone I feel like oh, most of the time in medieval depictions, everyone always has a sword. Like, oh, yeah, my sword. But the most effective thing in battle probably would have been like a mace because bludgeoning mm-hmm. would actually incapacitate you instead of like a sword slash slash. Like what? No. Do you remember that in Troll Queen? When they're fighting and the oh, troll yeah. has the mace? I'm like, yes. it, like, it's so much more effective. Crushed them. Like, so that if was you're the ever thing in a. If you're ever in a medieval battle and you have to do the classic walking up to the <laughs> table of weapons, you have to choose one. Choose the mace. <laughs> and if the mace have... was harder to, like, yes. if they got up if close you to you, strength. it was harder. Mm-hmm. Yes. Well, and but... when they get up close to you, it's not as effective. That's true, but a sword isn't either. You'd have to have, That's like, true. a dagger then. So maybe a mace and a dagger. <laughs> um, 
yeah so and and also with a sword like to anna's very persistent point they weren't heavy but at the same time if you have like chainmail on even and you want to do some damage you're gonna have to be strong enough to slash through Mm -hmm. so anyway very interesting stuff (laughs) do you have anything else well one thing that kept popping up a lot when i was looking was that everyone in the medieval times thought the world was flat which apparently is false they did not Mm -hmm. think it was flat they knew the world i ran into that too like a yeah. lot, like everyone I looked at said, like mm-hmm. they were not flat earthers. The world they knew the world was round. I'm like, there were probably as many flat earthers then as there are now, which is still a surprising <laughs> amount. There are some people <laughs> who think that, but I can see the logic. I don't agree with I it. I cannot. But I can see their logic. I do not get it. <laughs> I don't get it. Okay, my only other comment I wanted to make was a lot of times, uh, medieval peasants would always show up in like brown and gray rags and honestly beautiful clothes were very popular so just as like you know in the same way that food was more classy than we think it was you know there's a lot more like there were cookbooks from back then and and cooks would kind of go all out sometimes and they'd make these really elaborate dishes like clothes were people weren't just wearing brown rags and they weren't also they weren't always dirty Poor people had hygiene. Yeah. No, hygiene was like, you know, the, the saying like cleanliness next to godliness. Yes. Like they actually believed that. Like it yes. was a holy thing to be clean and not smell. Mm-hmm. So if you see a depiction of dirty, like people wearing brown rags in medieval culture, that's not true. It's not, I mean, to be fair, it was more expensive to buy colorful fabric, but that doesn't mean that no one had it. Like for us, it's more expensive to buy certain materials and stuff like that. But it's not like only Elon Musk wears sequins, you know? Which is funny, though. In reading those Melanie Dickerson books, the bad guys always smelled like body odor, which I think is intentional because they're, you know, they're supposed to be repulsive. And so then they right. were depicted as repulsive because they were not clean, which is interesting. Right. In, in like, that in my is interesting now. because you would, you would associate like their evilness with their lack of cleanliness yeah Mm -hmm. which i mean if you're running around killing people you're probably gonna sweat more but not that i know (laughs) (laughs) well and they didn't have like deodorant so like if they'd been out training they probably would smell that's true but But they also have a lot less toxin like body you stink because there's toxins in your body so like if they were eating more natural yes like garden to table food they might not have smelled as bad speaking of food a lot of times medieval peasants will also be depicted as having really bad teeth, which is actually, it's kind of the other way around because the rich people had a lot more access to like sugary foods. Their teeth probably would have been a lot worse than the peasants. The peasants' teeth probably would have been fine because they were eating more healthy things from the earth. And they did brush their teeth. They used yeah. like, charcoal and brush their teeth. <laughs> which people still use today. Mm-hmm. Okay. That was honestly so much fun. <laughs> I love learning about I knew a like lot this. more than I thought I did just yeah. from reading historically accurate books. So that's that. fun. And now we can call out, you know, inaccuracies <laughs> in the medieval world. So next we're just going to make our final book recommendations. Anna, do you want to go first? Sure. So I had the absolute privilege of reading and endorsing a book that comes out the end of this month. And it is called The Color of Rain by Abigail Haven. This book, I was not sure what to expect going into it. I knew it was a contemporary. 
and it's a YA book. But what I read, like I I was blown away by it. So you start out with this, there's three points of view in the story. There's Evan, Rain, and Jordan. And you start out meeting Evan, who his family has just moved to this small town. His dad had died of cancer. So there's a lot of like trigger warnings in this book, but it was so good. So his dad had died of cancer and it was his dad's dream to move this, his family, which is Evan, his mom, and their Evan's sister to this small town because he's a writer, a novelist, and he wants to get away from the city of Chicago that they live in and move to a small town. So when he passed, he had written a letter to each of the family members and he had, he had told Evan to take care of the family and like be the man. So he wants to fulfill his dad's wish. And so he, they moved to this small town and the sister's miserable. They're all still grieving. And he feels like maybe he made a mistake moving his family here. So while he's at school, one of his first days at school, he sees this girl who is missing her left hand, right hand, right hand. Um, but she has painted on her left hand this like elaborate design. And he's really curious by how she did it with missing her right hand and like why she does it. So slowly through the course of the book, he starts getting up the courage to talk to Rain. And he's supposed to be reading A Tale of Two Cities for his class and he cannot read it because it was his dad's favorite book and it's just killing him to try and read this book and so, so it is it is he's like i hate this book i don't like it um and it reminds him of his dad and so the teacher gives him this like basically extra credit assignment so that he can pass i think it's english or literature and she's like you're gonna finish the book <laughs> she's like you're gonna read it but i also want you to write a ten thousand word story it can be about whatever you want but you need to write it and it needs to be in by the end of november and this is like september and he's like great how am i supposed to do this um and so then he starts um hanging out with rain and he finds out that she has this story which i'm not going to spoil because it's so good and he wants to get the story out of her and like have her trust him enough to tell her his tell him her story and so it, it goes back between Evan and Rain and then this girl Jordan and just kind of how their lives are connected. And it was so good. It's, it's got, it's just so good. What um, is this called again? The Color of Rain by Abigail Haven, which is H-A-Y-V-E-N. There, by the end, I was crying. It was just oh. beautiful. And the way she ends it is beautiful. And then each chapter has a classic literary quote at the beginning of it. Yeah, it was just so good. I'm going to talk about something a little different. <laughs> My book rec for this episode is Les Miserables by Victor Hugo. Oh my word. Okay, I'm going to keep this brief because I could talk about this book for hours. <laughs> um, I feel like everyone knows about this book. So within two sentences, Jean Valjean steals bread, goes to galleys, escapes, Mayor, Cosette, Paris, Marius Gurr, revolutionary stuff, <laughs> Javert, river, death, more death, but happiness stalking. and death. That's it. Stalking by multiple characters. Yeah, literally so much stalking in this book. <laughs> All right. So 
this book was so interesting. There were parts of this book that I loved the most that I have never seen in any like movie or or like stage version. I love I saw this. I saw this on a Broadway tour and I cried. So it was it's such a powerful even just the play and the yeah movies are just so powerful yes but there are parts of the book that I was like I don't remember this in any depiction of it and it's so good I love this scene I loved this book so much it's a lot it's long it's chonky it's really it really is and I listened to it because I don't think I could have read it (laughs) um but I liked it so much more than I liked uh The Hunchback of Notre Dame which is also by Victor Hugo Victor Hugo must have had like depression or something because his books are just all like super it's so funny because he keeps he kept interrupting himself to like have a full existential crisis (laughs) in the book and uh, it was so good though I I came to refer to Jean Valjean in my head as Jean Val my pal and so that's how I (laughs) talked about him in my head Because I'd say, like, Sean Bell, my pal, you got to stop being so obsessed or something like that. And I just spoke to him a lot in my head. But I'm just going to read a few quotes that I wrote down. And I was writing down quotes as I started reading it that I really liked. But then I ran out of space on the page. So this is from, like, the first fourth of the book. But throughout the entire book, they're beautiful. So this is a few things that Victor Hugo says. (laughs) This one's funny. So this is the Bishop Muriel, who's, like, one of the best characters. That's the best part in the movie. I love, I love it. He says, bring me a chair. My greatness does not extend to this shelf. <laughs> Basically a way of saying, I'm too short to reach. Please bring me something to stand on. <laughs> um, and then a few other things that are, that are said. Uh, Satan may visit this house, but the good God inhabits it. Mm. I annoyed them. The free air went in with me. I had the effect of an open door. Goals. <laughs> <laughs> There was no longer a middle course for him, that if thereafter he should not be the best of man, he should be the worst, that if he became good, he must become an angel, that if he would remain wicked, he must become a monster. I felt like that was, that this is such a good quote that really encompasses the entirety of the book. Mm. Because Jean Jean Valjean is, you know, on this constantly teetering, because he seems like such a good guy through most of it. But seeing his internal struggle through the book was so interesting, because there's so many points where he could become Mm -hmm. a monster. And there's so many points where he could seem good, but actually start becoming evil within him. And, and he kind of has to choose one extreme. Um, And it's a battle. And then another quote is yours is like a beautiful face upon which someone has set down by mistake. It's so interesting. I loved the friendship in this book. Um, Mm. Eponine was a lot different than I expected her to be. And Marius was different than I expected him to be. Isn't she friends with Mary? Like, yeah, not even not even like the the movies don't do that justice at all either. Like, yeah, they're they live in the same like tenement house and like they do. but they? They don't know each other at that point. Um, okay. She's in the Tenadier family, obviously. Mm-hmm. And she they don't know each other at that point. And then she is kind of a little girl when he is living in that house. And eventually they meet. He becomes entangled with that. And he she considers she's hardcore in love with him. And she they are friends, but she feels indebted to him because he helps her family. And which is there's a ton of history behind that I won't get into. But um, so she he he's she's like, how what can I do um like to serve you? And he's like, Will you deliver this letter to my love, Cosette? <laughs> and she's like, dang. 
<laughs> Dang but it. You. But like the ending, like, oh my goodness. It's so good. And like, even Javert's internal struggles are really interesting. And like at the end, this is not a spoiler because Lemus has literally, like, this is not a new book, obviously. So, if so wait, 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 wait. What? Hold on. Does d- does Eponine die in the book? Yes. Okay. So the focus on the family radio theater version, she gets arrested with her parents. So like I never no. knew. I'm like, does she actually die or does well she get arrested? End up they get arrested, then the wife dies in prison, I think. And then Tanadier, the guy, escapes. And okay, my favorite character, my I won't say who it is. But my favorite character dies, and I was so upset. And I knew he was going to die, but I was kind of hoping I was wrong about it. Yeah, you probably know who it is. I was so upset, and they kind of passed over (laughs) it somewhat briefly, so I was very upset. Like, Um, everyone dies. The only two who don't die is, like, Cassette and Marius. Yeah. And Marius's grandfather doesn't die in the book. And then Tanadi doesn't die either. He, like... Yeah, he gets it's actually really it. satisfying though at the end how Marius does he he shows everything. up and is like trying to tell yeah. Marius like your I father-in-law have, I have like... tea and <laughs> Marius is like I already know the tea and then and then Tenadier is like this and this and this and this and Jean Valjean it did this and this That's he murdered he... a guy and then through that yes. Marius figures out that he's the one who carried him to the sewers it saved him like, yeah Anyway, it's so good. You should read it. Oh, my word. It's so powerful. It makes you think. Even if you have to read it, over, like, I read it over a few weeks. Like, it didn't, it did not take me a few days. It took me a while. And it was still, like, I actually would recommend that because it's so powerful. You kind of don't get the full effect if you read it really quickly, if reading it really quickly is even possible. But it was strong. It was so good. And I still think about it. So highly recommend. And that is our podcast. Thank you for listening to Old Enough for Fairy Tales. I'm Anna, and you can find me at Anna underscore Augustine underscore author on Instagram. And you can find me, Kirsten, at bookishly underscore aesthetic on Instagram. And you can find our podcast account at Old Enough for Fairy Tales podcast on Instagram. Or send us an email at oldenoughforfairytales.podcast at gmail.com and let us know what you'd like to hear more of. We're always open to suggestions. We love to hear from our readers. Uh, Also, you could really help us out by rating and reviewing us on your favorite podcast app and share this episode with someone who you think would be interested in it. Happy reading! Deuces! (laughs) Toodles!